and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the interesting and creative people of Austin, Texas. As always, my intention is to have meaningful and in-depth conversations that I hope will be of value to you, the listener. They certainly are to me. I really love doing these interviews, and hopefully we can all figure out together how to better connect and support our local art communities and create opportunities and success for ourselves through conversations like these. You might have noticed, unlike many other podcasts, this one has no sponsors. For me, it's a passion project that I create and produce 100% on my own every week please consider helping to support me and my continued efforts by becoming a patron of mine. Go to austinarttalk.com and click on the support tab to learn more. And if you really love an episode and have a feeling it might benefit someone else, please share it with them. It might be exactly what they need to hear. Thanks to those who follow and interact with me on Instagram, at austinarttalk. That is by far my favorite social media platform. I post daily about local art events and try to support and share the work of previous podcast guests, along with other interesting people, art, and podcasts that I find which you might enjoy. On to the rest of the show. Sydney Yeager is an Austin artist who describes her current painting style as gestural abstraction. She also teaches drawing and painting at Austin Community College. Teaching has been a part of her life from early on, but it wasn't until she had kids and decided to go back to school that she committed to studying art in a serious way. We talk about her history and what motivated her early work and how that has evolved over the years. We also touch on materials, teaching, being a huge art history fan, the Austin art scene, and more. Here is Sydney. Sydney, thanks for being on my podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Um, and I think I first saw your work at Gallery Shoal Creek mm-hmm. um, because I was a longtime photographer for them for their exhibitions and uh, openings and have developed a rela- relationship with Judy and mm-hmm. really love all the artists that she used to show there. Sadly. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, how long and- were you with her? Um, I was not there, I would, maybe three years. Um, I was previously with uh, Berman Gallery, and then he moved, and then there was kind of a period of time where I was in flux, I guess. And yeah, yeah. Then soon, uh, and then it was the year that she, I think it was their something anniversary. Yeah, that right. I became part of their gallery. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and speaking of, I used a beautiful photograph that you took, I u- have used on my website. I saw that. Thank you. <laughs> if my website would allow me photo credits, oh, okay. I would have credited you, but they I can't uh, figure out how to do that. <laughs> I really appreciate you saying that because you'll be surprised at how often things like that happen. Well, I mentioned it to you yeah. after I did it, and you said, well, it's okay. I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little embarrassing, though. Yeah, no worries. Um, so for anyone, kind of the question I always start with, for anyone that's listening to this and maybe is not familiar with you like how do you usually introduce yourself or kind of describe your career well I'm or maybe a, even as simple as like if you meet someone at a party like what, what do you and they say oh what do you do Sydney and I say well I'm a painter and they say they look puzzled and I oh really <laughs> well do they mean house painting does oh, she yeah. mean <laughs> So usually I explain that I am a painter, and then usually comes the question, well, what do you paint? And then that's always a puzzle. I wish I had it. I do not have the elevator speech. I've never developed one. But I guess I would describe myself as uh, sort of um, 
gestural abstraction would be yeah. as close as I can come to a description that people can grasp. Yeah, yeah. But that's kind of where you are now. Like you've, oh, you've over, transitioned through many different styles. I right? have indeed, yes. In fact, as, as a graduate student, I was working figuratively mm-hmm. with and narratively and pretty intensely and very much influenced by my background where I grew up, which was East Texas. And um, Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Like, yeah. Let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> well, I was when I was a kid, I was really interested in art, but... Oh. Uh, I didn't I didn't major in it when I went to college. I majored in English. I think I was just too chicken to be an oh, art yeah. major. So uh, it took me several years. I had two kids, and finally I went. Uh, decided that I needed to go back to art school. And I must credit my husband because we were <clears throat> kind of at the point we had two little kids. We didn't have much money, and we didn't. I was had a tutoring job, and John was independently uh, a lawyer, but independent. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking about what I should do in terms of this itch that I had to go to art school. Yeah, and what had you done the previous, you know, years? Well, I taught, and I worked at the school for the deaf, doing sort of work in their media center, and I had, and I got pregnant I had two little kids and I was stay-at-home mommy I tutored I did you know sort of pickup jobs okay but um they were approaching you know nursery school age and I had some time to be either the question was do I go back to school and become a an educator of adults Hmm. adult education yeah um or should I go back to school and start at the very beginning with an undergraduate degree in art? My husband and I were like, well, so, you know, if you did this other, you already accepted to a, into a master's degree program. You could just go straight on and be an educator of yeah. adult education. Yeah. Or, and this I have to, I always, I'm so uh, grateful to John because he said, but, you know, you don't want to be 87 and look back on your life and think, really, I wish I had <laughs> yeah. done that. Yeah. Regrets. So I took yeah. that as his accession. <laughs> <laughs> so we were in agreement that I didn't want to get old and look back on my life with regret. So, and, and I did go on and start all over again in education, undergraduate degree, and then wondering if I was going to go forward with that. And finally ended up after I'd finished, I applied to graduate school at UT and they were gracious enough to accept me. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's where I, that's, that was that. <laughs> And as a graduate student, your original question had to do with what my history had to do with my work, mm, yeah. which it did. It would it heavily influenced that. I, I sort of came of age in a culture that was very male dominated, I guess. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of, there was a lot of, there's a lot of hunting and fishing and a lot of disparity between what women do and what men do. Yeah. And the hunting and fishing part was part of my family's heritage Mm -hmm. and I was interested in it but I was also influenced heavily by the war in Vietnam yeah so some of the work that I did as a graduate student really referenced was influenced by the I don't know if everyone has it's everyone's vocabulary but the tragedy at Miele yeah and I sort of associated that with this 
sort of gang mentality that mm. men, in my opinion, at that time, that would sort of get together and band together and things happen that kind of wouldn't go along have happened together to other and lose yeah. their individual kind exactly. of uh, will. Exactly. Yeah. And and the, I was very much interested in, in investigating that. So all of these narrative paintings that I did had to do with these. I hooked it on to hunters and fishermen, but... You know, there are a lot of hunters and fishermen who are very ethical, but I just use that a bit as a vehicle for my exploration of that sort of gang mentality yeah. and associated it a lot with the Vietnam War and a lot of the atrocities that happened. And And I respect people who hunt and fish respectfully, yeah. which they do. Yeah. They and do. so my family did. I was It was not... Because I observed my family right. being brutal, but it was just it was a vehicle really for me to explore yeah. that avenue that that was happening in the world at that time. Well, how did it how did it feel after all those years of maybe not having art in your life at all to then start exploring that side of yourself? I mean, was it totally dormant during that time when you were kind no, of doing other jobs? And no, it wasn't ever really dormant. I was always interested and I always observed and I always drew a little bit, but I always felt excluded from the world because mm. at that time, Art News and Time Magazine were kind of the only... I lived here and there was not a lot to see yeah, at that yeah, time. Yeah. So I felt like there was this world that was going on outside that I didn't have any access to. And uh, I took a, a, an informal class with a man named John Hugh, and he was a really wonderful uh, resource for me. He kind of, I felt like he cracked the door open, and I could see, th- see the light coming through, and I was like, oh, that's... And he gave us readings from different artists and introduced me to oh. some artists and art I'd not known about. So that was really wonderful. Yeah. And then another wonderful thing that happened as to me that sort of supported my effort to return to art was that I befriended Melissa Miller, who I mentioned, and Carol Ivey. And I met them through the Elizabeth Nay. Mm-hmm. They Elizabeth Nay used to have life drawing classes. And they were, so I would go to their life drawing classes, and I was the only person in the life drawing class who had never done any life drawing before. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I learned a lot really fast. Yeah. And so that was, it was a wonderful experience because <clears throat> at the time we could use the museum. In fact, we had drawing models in the, the upper, little upper part. Yeah. And sometimes even in the downstairs. And so we were drawing amidst her sculpture. Oh, wow. It was very, a it cool was a really space. cool yeah. uh, experience. And that was very in, influential. And Melissa and Carol befriended me and encouraged me, too. So mm. uh, I have to credit all three of those people for supporting my, my yeah. decision to, to uh, go back. It felt risky because you just thought, like, how am I going to support my family? How am I going to make a living well, at this? Well, like, yeah. I, and is it worth it? I mean, am I... Do I have yeah. anything? I mean, right. is it worth developing, or am I a Sunday painter? Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, there was always that question, and mm. it was nice to have a little bit of support from people who were saying, "Well, you can probably do this. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead." Yeah. So uh, that was a, that was a good result. 
Do you think they were just being positive, or do you think they saw something in you? In well, I'd like work? to think that they saw something, uh, and I, I do think that they did. I mean, I, I don't think they were just being nice. Yeah. <laughs> and was there a point where you actually felt that yourself, where you're like, no, I can do this. I, there is something here. I just wonder that every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, am I for real? You I don't just, feel like you've arrived yet. <laughs> I just bought a book. The, the title is Fake Like Me about artists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I'll, you never really trust. Imposter syndrome, that yeah, whole thing. Yeah, exactly. So I haven't read the book yet, but I, I'm looking forward to it because I think it sounds yeah. funny and interesting. Why is that? Why, why is it so hard to own that? Like, wow, I'm an artist. My work is good. People like it. Whatever that is for you. You know, like... There's always yeah. something that you're never, and it's there's a quotation that I have on my studio wall, and I I can't even mangle it properly, but part of it is no artist is ever satisfied. There's always something that you wish you could do that you haven't done. And is that a form of? Does that allow you to stay driven? Then is that I keep you so. striving for more? Yeah, because otherwise you'd just be happy to keep on doing exactly what you did yesterday. Yeah, and be complacent. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's probably a necessary element. Yeah. So what was school like then studying art? Like what was that experience? Well, it was great because I as I already had an undergraduate degree and even some graduate level, I knew how to do school. And I yeah. didn't have to take art I didn't have to take history. I took art history. Yeah. So I I was taking mostly I was just taking mostly applied art and art history so yeah. it was very fun <laughs> it was a it was like really immersive, ex- yeah. exciting and fun experience as i said i knew how to do school so yeah that and, it wasn't struggle and but were it, there some like especially great mentors that you had in school that kind of helped guide you well the person that i worked most closely with i guess would be richard jordan he was he's now retired but one of the best painters i've ever met mm. Incredible, but of course he never shows his work and never allows anyone to see his work. He's very eccentric in that way. But oh, wow. I've been lucky enough to see some of his paintings, and I'm still stunned yeah, by yeah. them. So they're really gorgeous, gorgeous paintings. What do you feel like you learned from him? Well, I think he challenged everyone. He's an eccentric teacher, so I think he just he pushed people to do transgressive work. I think a little bit. Hmm. I mean, so and and I think that he pushed people to to push boundaries which i don't really think my work is pushing boundaries anymore oh no no i think it's i i think i'm pushing my boundaries but i don't think that i am it's transgressive i wouldn't call my work transgressive at all it might have been at that time because it was more figurative well it was was and it was controversial uh controversial and it was directed toward a more of a, I guess, quasi-political, socio-political yeah, statement. Yeah. And I don't think my, I don't think I'm, I'm not young and I'm not angry, <laughs> yeah. which I was mm-hmm. at that time. Oh. And so, uh, and I was, yeah. I mean, those were angry paintings and mm. they were expressive of sort of a deeply emotional state. And I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm uh, I'm not angry now. I, I, there's plenty to be angry about still, but oh, um, yeah. but that's not what my focus of my work is. Not anger now. And that anger back then, where 
I mean, you've already mentioned a little bit, but like, mm-hmm. where did, how was that generated? Where did that, how did that well up inside of you, that anger? What was it? What did it look like? What did it feel like? It did have to do with feminism to some extent. I can remember when I first began to read Gloria Steinem and feminist literature, I was like, yeah, that's how how I feel too. And it was sort of based in looking at the way that genders divided up in my youth. Some people were allowed to do one thing and some people were allowed to do other things and never the twain should meet. And specific roles, everyone had their yeah, specific and roles. Yeah, like every woman has, yeah. and, and man has felt, I'm sure. But they, that was part of the anger that was uh, present in those paintings. Hmm. But also anger about the Vietnam War, too, like right at that specific time. That, and I think it was, uh, I think that they went hand in hand. I hmm. think that I married, in my mind, the two issues. Yeah. There's also a story and that was widely publicized about a woman who was gang raped in a pool hall. And I the first kind of really political painting, I guess you would call them political or socio-political painting, I d- had to do with that. Hmm. After I was out of graduate school, uh someone came into my studio and we had a discussion about the previous paintings that I had done as a graduate student and I think it was Michael Mogavero, actually, who said this. And he, I said, well, you know, this, I, I feel like I've maybe exhausted that issue. And, and I said, I was disturbed about it because I thought, I said, that's part of who I am. And he said, yeah, but that's not all of who you are. Mm-hmm. And which kind of opened the door for me to go in a different direction. Yeah. So I felt like I was looking out and criticizing the world instead of looking inward and doing some more thoughtful uh, paintings that didn't have to do with my role as an observer. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait for that. So yeah, th- at that from that point on, the work did change, and I don't say that that was the only. I mean, I just happened to remember that comment because it was pertinent at the time. It happened at a good time for me, and it was like, yeah. oh, well, there are other avenues I can explore, and I don't have to just tell stories about things that are troubling me but i wonder you know then what do you do with that need for some kind of catharsis in releasing that onto your paper your canvas or whatever well it's not the only thing you feel anger is one emotion and there are lots of other emotional Mm -hmm. states that that can be expressed and i think it's maybe a little harder to express other states when you're angry about something, it's easy to make angry marks and you know make angry paintings. But if you're not mad about something, then you have to do something that expresses that state, which is yeah. a little touchier. I mean, it's you don't want to be corny and yeah. <laughs> paint blue bonnets or something. But on the other hand, you want to express a, the pleasure that you have in the the world around you, which I think is more what my work does at this point. Yeah, so it's not just about this, like, the classic angst-ridden artist who just creates, passionately creates this work. It's like you have to be able to well, explore I think there's different passion. aspects. I think different passions. I mean, I don't think it lacks in passion. I just don't think I'm passionately angry. Yeah, yeah. So I think my the passion, and I, there was a period of time where I was very concerned with mortality, and mm. a lot of the 
paintings that I did had to do with death. And not, not death, but trying to understand the phenomenon of life and then not life, or presence and absence of life. So I did a long series of paintings that related to that because I was trying to sort through that. So that's another kind of passion. And I think that perhaps my work now is more revolves around taking pleasure in this world while I'm still in it. Yeah. So <laughs> who knows how long that'll be. <laughs> right. Well, for any of us, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I'm wondering the series that you did on death, would it, would it be obvious to the observer that's what it's about? Or were they very abstract? They weren't abstract. They were quasi-figurative. I did a series of prints with Flatbed that uh, you may... Maybe you, did you see flat the flatbed uh, retrospective where they yeah. put all their prints? Some of the the I did these tiny little prints. Then and that they're here. We could look at them, but I guess you're. This is all audio, so yeah. <laughs> there's no we point can, in we looking can put at pictures them. online. Though. But they were emblematic of that period. I used the em- emblem of a torso. Sometimes I was using intertwined ropes. I used bowls. I used gloves, light bulbs, all to sort of signify the physical and the presence and absence. Mm. Various symbols appeared in the in more or less an abstract field. I mean, if you think about what a light bulb looks like, it's this fragile container with some sort of little light-producing filament yeah. inside. So it seems like that if you thought about it and looked at it, you would evolve some sort of understanding that they were had to do with mortality or with the body and or an empty glove Mm -hmm. so what the container Mm. of life Mm -hmm. and how ephemeral that container can be because it's so uh, shocking when it's no longer it's it's a container but it's there's nothing any longer contained yeah i just had a hard time wrapping my head around that still do yeah, and where does what was in the container go? Yeah, exactly. Where? What happened? How can that very vital thing just not be there anymore? Anymore yeah. was a question that I sort of wrestled with. And still, of course, do, but maybe not so much in my work. Well, I'm wondering then, after that gentleman made that comment to you, like, how did that start affecting the direction that your work went in? What did it, what happened next? Well, what happened next was that I did turn my view uh, from exterior to interior. And Mm -hmm. it so happened that at that time, both of my parents' health was failing. Mm. So that investigation of mortality was immediately Right in Something, front of you. Yeah, yeah, that it was on my mind. Mm. And had been before that as well, even in the more narrative paintings and the latter part of that series. Heavy-duty stuff. So you <laughs> still have some figurative elements, but you're kind of starting that to point, go yes. more uh-huh. abstract? or Yes, the fields were very abstract, and the little drawings that were more figurative were almost provisional. It's like they were like, afterthoughts Mm, mm -hmm. and and that went on for quite some time i would there were these abstract fields and there would be tiny little sort of provisional drawings inserted into them and and i feel like it was because i was still wedded to the idea that a painting should be narrative Mm, so i had to put these little narrative elements in in it or something in it to to make people make a story recognize yeah right and uh, I had uh, an interesting experience with that, too. It was a remark that someone made that kind of 
altered the course, I think. It came in an apropos time and mm-hmm. changed the way the work was going. There was a artist talk at David Berman, and one of the people there asked me a question. It was a very smart young man, and he said, so do you put these little pictures in, in these for you or for us? And I thought, hmm, that is a really smart question to ask. Yeah. So I gave it quite a bit of thought, and I determined that perhaps I was not putting them in for me. I was putting them in for them and that maybe it was a little bit of a crutch Mm. so pretty soon those figurative elements dropped away and the work became more specifically abstract yeah but it always i think still in my current work you can look back to the earliest work that i did and find common elements like what a lot of the Imagery in the some of the work that I did early had to do with intertwined ropes and knots, mm-hmm. and I think that my current imagery kind of could be yeah. seen as that. Mm-hmm. So I think it, there is that sort of the arabesque, I guess you would say, that is present in a knot or a coiled rope is still present in the work that I'm doing now. And what does that mean to you? Like why that... You know, I think it's just part of my handwriting, part mm. partly. But I think that that intertwining seems to make sense to me in a sort of abstract way. It's about disparate things coming together or being kind of combined to or, make something more. Like that kind of reminds me of that quote that you have on your artist statement about the birds and Rome. Yes. Mm-hmm. Similar, maybe. Yes, it's like, yes, I'll... Um, that and but the with the ropes, I think is a little bit different than the disparate parts. Okay, I think that that has to do with well, I guess they are kind of related. Um, but there seems to be more of an embrace in the work that's happening right now. Hmm. Just in me, my most recent work, there seems to be more of kind of an embrace uh, going on between parts, as opposed to these very sort of diverse parts fitting together, ah. uh, maintaining their diversity. They seem now to be more part of each other. That's a mystery to me. I can't, <laughs> I don't know if I can go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, some of the things I had read online referencing your work had talked about like fragmentation and disintegration, kind mm-hmm. of that theme in your work too. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering. That may be changing. Yeah. I mean, I just, in fact, I hadn't thought about that until this conversation, because it may definitely be changing to move away from that a little Mm. bit. We'll see. (laughs) And what do you, can you attribute that to anything in your life personally, just how you're feeling about? I might be able to at some time in the future. Okay. I don't know that I can identify that at this point. Yeah. I think a lot of times, too, it's same same with titles. I make a painting, and then after the fact, I figure out what the title is, which means that maybe I'm figuring out a little bit more about what the painting is. Yeah. So I I do think that's part of the process for me, kind of figuring it out after the fact. (laughs) And then maybe even showing it and then getting feedback and then getting completely different perspectives. Well, it's interesting when you mention showing. I think anytime someone else looks at your work, you after that, see it differently if they say anything or if they don't say anything. Yeah. If they stand in front of it, it changes it for you. Yeah. So 
that's the kind of thing that happens, I does guess. That, does that make you nervous to see people standing in front of your work, or is it exciting? Well, I used to be very unused to having people come in and see my work in progress. But um, since I've been out in Elgin, my immediate neighbor, Margot, is across the street, and she pops in and out. And so I've kind of relaxed mm. my <laughs> yeah. my uh, anxiety about having people look at stuff in progress so yeah but what about like finished stuff. works like in a gallery like if you're at an opening and everyone's looking at your work well it's scary yeah. of course for everyone it's like <laughs> yes yeah. it's, it's not an, a comfortable process but it's fun too because especially at openings people are not too critical no <laughs> so that's nice I'm wondering, is there anything else we should touch on to kind of like get up to the present day as far as like the decades that you've been kind of developing your art career and different transitioning to different styles of painting and kind of different, like you've mentioned a couple, you know, people that have come through your life and asked you a question or made a comment and you've really absorbed that and kind of made a pivot or considered that and made a change. I I really respect that. I feel like that's the kind of life that I want to live to where I'm not rigidly stuck to one certain thing. I want to be open, you know? It sounds mm-hmm. like you're very open to and humble about people's opinions and their perspective and you really take that in. Like Well, it's it's really a wonderful when you have that kind of opportunity to have people look at your work seriously and with with kindness and to respond to your work it's just i mean it's an opportunity that everybody wants mm. to have all the time you don't want to just work with the garage door pulled down and fling it up and drive out in your model t somebody yeah. said <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you it's it's lovely if you can have people responding to your work and and uh you can react to it yeah. or or not or reject yeah then you, you don't always have to make changes according to what people are, are saying oh, or sure. say to you, but it's it's nice to have that. That means people are paying attention, mm-hmm. which everybody wants. I mean, who yeah. doesn't want to be the center of attention? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, some people don't, probably. <laughs> Maybe I should talk about materials. Yeah, I was going to ask you yeah. about that. But I do think that for me, materials are a change in materials have has made a big yeah. change in my work yeah, because I had always painted on canvas but I've always admired people who could paint on linen and leave some of that linen exposed and I didn't want to deal with rabbit skin glue I just didn't it's yeah. too erratic and I knew I'd screw it up so I didn't yeah but um I discovered this linen that has a clear acrylic surface that I can paint on and if I want to leave some of the linen exposed I can which is very was very exciting so uh, I think it helped me to make a transition from overall pattern painting to figure ground painting which is a little bit something I probably should think more about in terms of its philosophical meaning the difference Mm. between an all-over pattern which is non-hierarchical and an figure ground pattern which is kind of more hierarchical which i'm not so crazy about yeah you but say figure, figure figure and ground okay so that i've never heard a, that term figure ground means that there's an object with a background oh okay okay it, and so um 
that's a whole different thing than overall painting where everything is covered, and which is what I was doing mm. for a long time. I was working with continuous patterns. Yeah, okay. So um, it changes. It's a little bit different in, philosophically, too, and I don't know that I've quite sorted that out. Mm. <laughs> Probably should. Well, maybe, or let someone or else sort not. it out. <laughs> okay, good idea. Right. Um, so that made a big change, and also I've recently discovered um, using a more fluid paint, which has changed, has altered my... Mm. Uh, I can't wait to, in fact, get back into the studio and start playing This is like a real new thing. (laughs) Well, not real new, but it's just uh, bigger brushes, bigger strokes, and bigger, and are more available to me if the materiality is changed some, so that the paint is not as viscous, it's more fluid. Mm -hmm. So I think I've made a discovery in that area, or not a discovery, for me a discovery, but yeah. so that makes a difference too. I'm wondering if you could almost describe like what it's like to be staring at a blank canvas and kind of jump in because I feel like, <laughs> you know, some of the things I've read and it's obvious in your work, it seems like you'd have to be pretty decisive in your brush strokes because you don't have a lot of, you know, you're going wet on wet or mm-hmm. you're going on this linen. It's like there's not a lot of space for a lot of fixing and moving and changing. You're kind of like committing to something and you're doing it and then it's kind of over, right? I mean, how to or it tell is. me about it. Like, that is, what, ex- you, you described it quite well because a lot, I mean, I, I do have to figure out where I'm going color-wise. But after that, it's like, mm, I can stand and look at a bare canvas for a while. Yeah. <laughs> With and once you make a mark, you're committed. Yeah. And it predicts the next mark, which is the comforting part of it is that if it looks okay, then you can go on. <laughs> <laughs> and if it doesn't, then if it doesn't, then you're screwed. <laughs> you, know? you just like burn the canvas or something. <laughs> well, I've I have got figured out that if it's still wet and I get right on it, I can get it oh, okay. off. But okay. it's not. It's not easy. That sounds like a lot of pressure, though. But I I read one quote. You said it's like jumping in Barton Spring. It is. It's exciting, right? It's fun, and it's it's like you have to hold your breath and hold your nose and do it. You just have to get ready and go. And there's going to be a shock (laughs) and a cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm So, but it's good if it's good, you know. If you want it to be, if you're hot and you jump in and it cools you off, it's a good thing. Yeah. So you make that first stroke, mm-hmm. and then you and then you kind of judge that and whether that's acceptable or not, and then you make the next one. I mean, it does. It... it does seem that one thing predicts the next. Okay, it's not, and and it is not. I, sometimes I do some a little drawing beforehand, and I refer to, mm. and sometimes I make little collages, but the amount of time I spend looking at them is pretty minimal. Okay. So uh, they're more like a, you know, jump start. And you've already picked your, you already have all your colors mixed or however that works ahead of time. You're kind of picking I'd be your more palette. mixing on, my, my color mixing happens more on the canvas than it does on the palette. Oh, okay. So I m- may start out with a thought about the palette that I'm going to use. And I do some little, sometimes I do little sketches on, on um, scraps of linen that I have left over. Just to see if yeah. I think the colors will chime with each mm-hmm. other or rhyme with each other. And, but um, it always changes when I go to the big canvas. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm. So it's it's always a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and I keep my fingers crossed. It'll be a good surprise. <laughs> yeah. And how do you 
So the whole process is pretty exciting or you kind of like get into a flow state or a zone or Well, if you can, that's the best to yeah. not not be present. Yeah. Who was it that said when the, f- the first people to leave your studio are your critics, the second people to leave your studio are your friends, and if you're lucky, then you leave. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a great quote. Yeah. What does that mean to you? It means that you're, like you said, you're not present anymore. You're not judging. You're not hearing voices. You're not responding to anything, but what, you're, just you're moving there. You're there. Painting. Well, that sounds sort of, it's kind of, there was a, a book, and I, I must confess I know the title better than I know the book, but it's called Zen and the Art of Archery. Mm-hmm. It's like if you are thinking about the target and how you're pulling the bow back, I, I, then you'll miss. So it's, it's sort of in a matter of achieving that state, Yeah, if you're lucky. It's a good, it's a great state to be in. It doesn't always happen. So it feels rare, that state I to you? I think it or is, it kind of, yes. It doesn't happen rare. every time you do a painting? No. I wish it did. <laughs> and how do you know when to stop mm. painting? I think the only way that you can tell is that if you keep on going, you know it's going to turn into a completely different painting. Mm. But sometimes you, you get that feeling too soon. So you, you can be guided by that a little bit too much, I think. So yeah. you have to be willing to go back, do mm. more, even if you think you're done. And this is all based on your judgments. Like you don't, do you have other people giving you feedback or like, oh, I don't think it's done yet. Or is it all? If I can, I get somebody to tell me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Please. Should I stop? Should I go? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's always better if you can get somebody to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. But it seems like you're really love paint. Like you have a love affair with paint. (laughs) Absolutely. I was speaking once with a Regina Vader who is works with installation and performance. She said, well, if you're like me, you're a performance and installation artist, you can do your work if you're on the bus or if you're in a movie or if you're grocery shopping, you can still be doing your work. But you, you have to be, it's like having a lover. You have to be with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was appropriate, ah. but it's true. You, you know, many, I, th- I would say more than not, artists now are working with fabricators and with computers and with things where you can do it on the bus. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. But uh, if you're painting, you, you kind of have to be there. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely in love with the material of oil paint. I've I do try I've tried acrylic, I've tried watercolor. It just doesn't do for me what oil paint does. Yeah. So I'm committed. <laughs> yeah. Where do you feel your work going? You're trying different types of paint. Are you happy where you are? Or are you kind of like keep trying to push, push, push? Well, I hope to push, push, push. But I'm excited now about the as I mentioned earlier, bigger marks and more fluid paint. Yeah. Right now. Or exciting for me. And so so what is it like to teach painting? You teach at ACC, right? uh Well, it's fun. I mean, I'm I'm always interested in what my students are going to come up with, and they always surprise me, which is great. I taught a a drawing two class last semester, which was really fun because there was less emphasis on technical kind of teaching, like this is how you make a sphere look round, or this is how you make do chiaroscuro painting or drawing and there was more uh experimentation which was really an exciting Mm. fun thing to happen i teach drawing it seems more recently than painting which is fun you know it makes me 
I know how to draw really good balls and pyramids and yeah. cones. I can do that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I've got that down. <laughs> but yeah, you're not really doing representational work ever really for yourself. Not so much. Yeah. And and I in I mean sometimes I have students who are interested in abstraction too. Yeah. That was what was fun about this drawing two classes that there were people in this class who were taking things in different directions than representation, drawing what they see. And, and which basically drawing one is about being able to record what's in front of you. And drawing two be- takes it a step beyond that, I think. Yeah. I hope. And was it always your intention from when you graduated from school to eventually teach, or did you? I had no idea what was going to happen to me when I graduated from the UT master's program. I sought out teaching, but I had no idea that I could get a job. They're few and far between. Yeah. So I felt lucky that I was able to do that because it was very helpful. But it took a while. I mean, is that a more recent development, or how long have you? How long have you been I, teaching? I, t- I got. I did get a teaching job. It was interesting. Pretty soon after graduate school, I applied at ACC, and the person who was then the chairman had seen my work. It was one of those narrative paintings, and it was in a competitive show. Mm-hmm. And it was a big, giant painting, and she had seen it, so she hired me. And this is an interesting had an interesting effect on my work, actually. She yeah. hired me to teach art history, oh. which was the entry. At that time, this is long ago at ACC. Now ACC snaps up art history majors in, in, in a hurry. Yeah, yeah, has yeah. a very well-credentialed um, art history. But at that time, in the art department, you got to teach art history first, and then you <laughs> graduated yeah. to teaching the studio classes. So I was teaching the prehistoric to Renaissance which I didn't have a huge yeah. background in, was great. I loved, um, I really loved teaching it because I had to learn it. And uh, it was very demanding. I didn't have a rote <laughs> uh, lecture that I could just spout. And okay. every time, I, every semester that I taught it, I had to learn it all over again because there's a lot of archaeology and architecture and so it was really fun. Then it did have its effect on my work. It changed some of the things that I was, some of the imagery that I was using. Yeah, please elaborate on that. Well, um, I think when I got out of graduate school, I had no idea what my life would be, whether I would be able to have a community, if I would just be lost, if what mm. would happen. But I was so lucky that I was able to land a show with women in their work. A one-person show. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, it was exactly a year after I graduated. Hmm. It was huge. It was a huge yeah. perk because I had a year to get ready. During that time, Some, I think it was during that It was during that period of time, I was also teaching that art history class. Oh, yeah. Right. So a lot of the imagery that I was thinking about and looking at as teaching art history crept into that show. So, yeah, women in their work's huge. I think it has a wonderful place in in Austin. So you were going to ask me about that. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to understand your relationship with them better, and they've been supporting you for a long time. They've, they've always been supportive of me. They've um, I had that show there. I was on their advisory board long ago, but I loved doing that. That was very exciting to get to see the applicants for their shows and see what they were doing. That was really fun. And I think it's just a wonderful institution here in Austin. I hope that everybody will support them because 
they've and Chris Cadden, I have to say, has just done an amazing job and is doing an amazing yeah. job of keeping women in their work in the forefront. And just, she's really an amazing leader. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great gallery. I I mm-hmm. feel like I don't frequent there enough, and I definitely encourage people to. Yeah, and to support it financially, also they're struggling to find a new location because they're oh. like everybody else in Austin. They're being displaced. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Mm. So they, if financial support for them is imperative. Yeah. Yeah, and I know they have their red dot art spree that Coming helps. Up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, just back to teaching real quickly. I'm just wondering what kinds of things you know. I know you were saying how taking that or teaching that art history class changed your work. How has teaching people in general, like drawing mm. and painting, changed you or your work? Do you feel like, or how how have you had to try to distill what you know into something that you could communicate to them that maybe you could share that might people might be interested to hear. Well, I think the thing that I can that I offer students it's that I get the most feedback on is that I I, I can't retain a date. Tomorrow I'll forget when yeah. I'm supposed to be somewhere. But I can retain a lot of art information oh okay nice (laughs) about artists i know a lot about artists and i know and i I can retain all of that and i know a lot about you know i can make a relationship between what a student is doing and what a perhaps predecessor yeah they could look up and investigate if they wanted to and i think that that's what i offer students that is the most um helpful to them Mm. or so i've been told yeah so I think that's my main attribute as a teacher. Otherwise, I wonder what if I if I do anything, if I, if I just sit there and let them do. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of hard about teaching art. Is kind of so much of it. It has to be self motivated. They have to do it. All you can do is point them. Yeah. Hope that they go in a direction that's useful. Yeah, you can't make them practice, right? No, you can't. <laughs> they have to want to. I wonder if we should talk about, you know, traveling and teaching in Rome and what that kind of an experience has been. Well, for it was you. in Florence and it was um intense. And that's I took two two of our <clears throat> ACC groups to Florence and on two separate years and it's quite amazing mm. to be there. It's a really wonderful experience for students because at, I mean, you can go into the Bargello and sit down and draw from the amazing work there. It's just, you can just, and I think it's a little bit hard for students to realize I'm an art history freak and not everybody is. Mm. So I will, I'm just wowed by the Renaissance and pre-Renaissance and yeah, I'm just knocked out by that. And, you know, I think as an 18 year old, or a twenty-year-old, or uh, and and in fact, as a twenty-year-old, I did go to Florence and spend a half a half of the summer as a student, mm-hmm. and I was kind of committed and freaked out by an art history freak then also. But I do remember longing for contemporary art mm. because there's not much in Florence that is not ancient. So I think that when you take students, you have I, I lost sight of the fact that they might need a little jolt of 
the contemporary yeah. little graffiti or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Entering into their world. So it was, it was, but it was, it's, it's still, it's just an amazing experience for the students and for me. It was just incredible. Yeah. And I've also lucky enough to have a colleague with whom I take adults to Europe every fall. Mm. So that's, I'm excited. This year we're going to Spain and Madrid and then to the south of Spain. And the people who go with us are drawing and painting as much as you can when your means are limited to yeah. what you can carry. But um, so that's a real exciting thing that I do and enjoy doing. And yeah. have been doing it for this going on 12 years so are you able to also paint too because you your paintings are usually very large no (laughs) not on those trips okay when the the most fun that i had being in europe uh, as far as painting goes was when i was a, a visitor at the american academy and i had a beautiful studio and i did paint and it was just an amazing experience and i wasn't responsible for students Mm, which yeah. you know it's their trip it's not your yeah, trip right and that was when i was in rome it wasn't to facilitate anyone else's experience it was for me to be able to be in rome and to also have a studio where i could paint yeah. and it was and i painted little paintings about like that but it was an amazing experience it was that was really fun i'd love to repeat that and yeah. i hope i maybe i will someday yeah <clears throat> i better hurry up right <laughs> So why have a studio in Elgin when you live in Austin? Like, Well, I can afford it, for one thing. And there's not any place in Austin that provides the, a space like the one I have in Elgin. It's really a beautiful old building, and it's huge. Soaring ceilings. Um, it's just, uh, um, I love having that studio. Yeah. <clears throat> and Do you like the separation, too, kind of of your it, life? Yeah, life? I, I I mean, yes and no. And the, there's some really good things about it. Is that and what you just described is true. I can step out of my reality into a different one, but it also keeps me from being part of this community in certain ways. Mm. You know, I miss talks that are in the middle of the afternoon because that means I sacrifice a whole studio day. Yeah. Or so you know, it has its pluses and minuses. But I think the balance would go to the plus so i love it i love going out there it's a beautiful studio mm-hmm. anyone could come and visit me <laughs> all right well what are you working on what do you have going on right now and what are you working on next What's- well i just uh had a show with caprice perucci in houston which was very fun i don't have anything on the books right now but i have some interest in certain sizes of painting so i'm excited to get started painting again I'm assuming that there will be something on the books eventually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you think Austin's art community needs? Because we had a little bit of a conversation about just that earlier. You know, what do you what do you wish there was more of? What do you where do you see it going? Like what you know, like any thoughts that just generally about the Austin art scene? And well, I think I'm a little apart from it, partly as a result of having a studio in Elgin, and partly as a result of a generational divide. I think that uh, there are so many artists who are just getting out of graduate school who are really adept and wonderful, and it's hard for me to keep up with them, yeah. So, uh, and, and with what's happening with them. And I, it would be nice, and I think that there are communities that are developing and that facilitate that, but I wish it were, I wish I were, I guess it's myself, I wish I were more a part of them. Yeah. 
So I miss that, and I don't know really how to to bridge that. Mm -hmm. So it would be nice if there were more intergenerational uh, activity, which it might be my fault for there not being that. Hmm. Do you sense that? Um, Yeah, I mean, I I definitely even just, you know, when I got here, you gave me a tour of your house and your wonderful art collection, and you mentioned all these artists I'd never even heard of that... Mm-hmm. are still here and, and it's the same with me and the other way it's like there are so many artists making wonderful art in austin that i don't know yeah so your art podcasts are good for that both ways i think that could yeah i, I definitely yeah. feel like it made me think of like okay i really need to try to bridge that gap more and kind of like mm-hmm. go between those two different generations or worlds of people mm-hmm. and try to make sure i'm including yeah. Vo- everyone's voice as much as right. I can. It's the. I mean, that's. I, and I think this is a good vehicle for that. I, I think it exists. I just don't think I'm a part of that conversation right now. So perhaps it's just partly I, my life that yeah. has this yeah. patterned. <laughs> yeah. I have to do this much, and I have to do this, and I don't have time for that. Yeah. So I think people fall into that, and maybe uh, if you're more eager for that sort of social connection, mm-hmm. you don't fall out of the conversation as I figure I feel I probably yeah. have well maybe just to to close I'm just wondering if you have any other thoughts about that you wanted to share about being an artist or any any kind of advice that you give to other artists or I think that if you want to be an artist if you're driven to be an artist you just should you have to there's not much there's not a really way to avoid it yeah if you if that's what you want to do but i think on the other hand if you're not driven to be an artist there's no way that you can force yourself into that Mm -hmm. because it's a lot i mean it's a lot to not have in terms of i think i mentioned to you that i was probably the most boring person you could interview well i don't think so (laughs) because i you know i pretty much my life is divided between domestic life that is just like everybody else's i have four grandchildren i have a husband i have a family yeah and my studio yeah and there's not any other social activity that goes on it's just this or that yeah 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 so it's pretty straightforward existence Mm -hmm. but uh i think i've heard other people talk about how artists lives are kind of romanticized and you'd think that they would be doing all these crazy, wonderful things, but that most artists really have a very regulated and sort of patterned existence, that, or you don't get anything done. Yeah. Nose to the grindstone and all that. A little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doesn't seem like being an artist would be that. but Yeah. And I think your nose is to the grindstone for different reasons, though. It's because you you want to put your nose on that grindstone. Yeah. It's not because somebody is telling you you have to. Right. That's ideal. Yeah, it has, it, and that's the only way to pursue an, a career in art, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Scott, thank you for, so much. I'm really flattered to be uh, to have been thought of. Yeah, no, I'm uh, glad. I'm very appreciative of your, of your time, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad we. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, look forward to sharing it with everyone. Oh, thank you. I hope you edit it <laughs> heavily. <laughs> oh, jeez. I will. Good. I do edit every podcast. Oh, excellent. Okay. Good to know. All right. Well, thank you. Well, thank you very much. And it's been fun. Okay. Thanks for listening. One more thing before you go. 
If this episode or any other I've produced have helped you or added value to your life, please support the podcast so it can continue and grow. Just go to austinarttalk.com forward slash support. There you can find a link to my Patreon page, and there is also a PayPal option and an Amazon affiliate link. I couldn't keep doing this without your help. All the best to you and take care. Thank you.